Scripture. Find John, please, the good news according to John, chapter 20, and we'll read that in, in just a moment. On Palm Sunday, 1994, without any warning, a tornado ripped through the building that housed the people of the Goshen United Methodist Church in Piedmont. And the tornado left 20 people of that congregation dead, including the four-year-old daughter of the pastor, Kelly Clem, and her husband, Dale. Her name was Hannah. Now, I, I, I talked about that last week. A few months ago, I talked about it. In fact, I uh, interviewed uh, the pastor here. She told us that, uh, the story of that day. And uh, last week, I mentioned that Dale Clem, her husband, who also is a pastor, wrote a book about that tornado, and it's titled Winds of Fury Circles of Grace. I know I've talked about that a lot lately, and I will move on from it, but, but it's a story of such deep hurt, and yet it's a story of such wonderful hope. In that book, uh, Winds of Fury, Circles of Grace, uh, and by the way, when he writes it, Dale Clem writes, it's, he, it's, it doesn't feel like it's uh, self-pitying or self-indulging. It just feels like a man hoping that, that people will find healing in his own openness. And in that book, um, he quotes uh, the late uh, German poet Rainer Rilke, who said, the best gift you have to offer the world is your deepest burden. The best gift you have to offer the world is your deepest burden. Or if we may flip that, your deepest burden is the greatest gift you have to offer the world. And in that, in that thought, just on the next page, Uh, Dale Clem tells the story of Jesus and Thomas. Thomas doubting that Jesus really was alive, and Jesus saying, Thomas, if you want to know me, then you must know my wounds. Let's read the story. Chapter 20, beginning at verse uh, 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Of course, this is after the resurrection. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm just not going to believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas doubted the claims his friends were making about Jesus, and Jesus said, Thomas, if you want to know me, if you want to know I am who I say I am, if you want to know I'm real, if you want to know I'm alive, then you have to know, you have to become acquainted with my wounds. What a... What an interesting insight that if we want people to know us beyond just what is your name and where'd you grow up and where do you work and what's your favorite football team, if we want people to know us, then we have to be willing to let people know our wounds. 
And what I'm going to try to unpack for the next few minutes is this. We deal best with doubts by showing our wounds. Doubting Thomas. What did Jesus do? Did he engage him in an argument? Did he, was he condescending? Did he shame Thomas? No, he, Jesus dealt with doubts by being open about his wounds. And that, I believe, is, um, is a powerful insight for us. My, let's talk about doubts. For, by the way, Thomas doubted. Let's talk about doubts. Doubts are not the end of the world. Doubts are fairly common. People with doubts, with spiritual uncertainty, well, they come to church. And people with spiritual uncertainty, with doubts, they watch uh, on, on television. And, and we're thrilled that you do. Uh, doubts, and my read is that doubts in our society are increasing. That, uh, in fact, just October the 9th, just a couple of weeks ago, USA Today did a big story on agnosticism. An agnostic is not an atheist. An atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says we cannot know, and I, I refuse to take a stand or take a position or to assume I can know. So this uncertainty, this spiritual skepticism seems to be on the rise in our, in our society. I just finished uh, the book titled The Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen. Now, he wrote 50 years ago, and I'm behind, but I just read it, and he talks about what he calls the typical person in our society. And it's as if he wrote this book yesterday. He says, the typical person in our society is jaded, is skeptical, uh, and in fact, does not have a lot of hope for the future of humanity. He says, the typical person in our society has recognized that technology cannot solve our deepest problems, that the typical person in our society has even recognizes that technology has potential danger. Sounds like artificial intelligence. Sounds like he wrote it yesterday. So the typical person in our society is spiritually skeptical, is somewhat jaded, and is not very hopeful about the future of humankind. And so what do we how do we respond to that? He says, how do we connect the skeptical, not so hopeful person in our society with the, with the God of the universe? And, and now it says, it's through our wounds, not by condescension, not by trying to prove the unprovable, not through argument, but by, by being honest about our wounds. Now, there's a place for what's called apologetics. Apologetics means giving a reasonable answer for what we believe. There's a, certainly a place for that. But in 2023, with a world increasingly skeptical, perhaps our best response to people who are jaded and skeptical and not very hopeful about the future of humankind, maybe our best response was Jesus' response to doubt. Maybe our best response is to be open about our wounds. In our society, people don't trust institutions like they used to, including the church. In our society, there are people who are longing for genuineness and sincerity. And in our world, hypocrisy is easily sniffed out. And so, With that in mind, I want to look right at that camera, and I want to speak to those who are watching by television. I know some of you I'm about to address may be in the room, but there's so many watching by television. There may be somebody who's sitting, as I often say, on the side of the pool with your feet dangling in the water. Maybe you're on the margins of faith. Maybe you have one time been part of a church, but you've been hurt by or angered by the church. And by, by church, I mean a church. 
And maybe you've never been part of a church, but you're attracted to Jesus. You're attracted to his, his teachings, his example, his life, but you've been put off by his followers. So let me speak directly to you and say, acknowledge what you already know. And that is that we, as in followers of Jesus, don't have it all figured out. A few months ago, in fact, in this room, we all wore stickers that read, I've got issues. Do y'all remember the stickers? Because we, we do. Jesus is perfect. His followers are not. For example, we, we want to follow our Lord's mandate to be holy, to be separate, set apart and different. And in our attempt to stand, or in our attempt to be holy, we sometimes act holier than thou, and that's wrong. We, we want to stand on our moral and biblical convictions, but in our attempt to stand on our convictions, sometimes we step on people, and that's wrong. And despite our faith, we have some uncertainties. And despite our strength, we have some hurts. We sometimes disappoint each other, and I'm certain that we sometimes disappoint you. And if our warts and flaws have in any way tainted your picture, your understanding of Jesus, then that's on us, not on Him. So we would encourage you to look beyond us, through the pages of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the Gospels that tell his story, and get to know him without being, having his image tainted by, by his imperfect followers. And then we would invite you to join us in our imperfect efforts at following a perfect Lord. Truth is, we don't have it all figured out, and we've got wounds, and that might be the best way to respond to a skeptical world. And it's not just for people out there, in here. What's our best gift to each other in here? It's not, it's not arguments and condescension and confrontation. Our best gift to each other here is vulnerability. It's openness. It is to say, I am wounded. Now, I'm not talking about whining, and I'm not talking about wallowing in self-pity. I'm not talking about making other people miserable because of our misery. I'm not talking about trying to get attention by saying, oh, look, I'm hurting. I'm not talking about that. I'm simply talking about being vulnerable and candid and honest to say, there's some things I don't know, and I have some wounds, I have some hurts, and I need you, my friends, to know about that. But Travis, aren't we always supposed to be upbeat and cheery? Aren't we, as Jesus followers, always supposed to be positive? Well, remember, remember that Thursday night when Jesus had supper with his friends, and then they walked across uh, the Kidron Valley onto the Mount of Olives, into a private olive grove called Gethsemane, Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. And Jesus motioned for Peter, James, and John to follow him. And when they were alone, just the four of them, he said, my soul 
is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, please stay with me. My God, that's Jesus, the Savior of the world. My soul is overwhelmed, he said, to the point of, with sorrow to the point of death. I need you to stay with me. It is appropriate to say my soul is overwhelmed and I need help. Being honest about our struggles is appropriate and it's a wonderful gift to others. I've seen it myself. When I've stood here and I've said I need to tell you about my pain, people came out of the woodwork to say, well, Travis, could I buy you a cup of coffee and tell you my story? Could I come see you and tell you about my family? Remember Scott Day, our minister of missions? The most important sermon he preached here was the day he talked about his struggle with depression. He talked about his family history. He was honest and candid and vulnerable, and people virtually lined up at his office door to say, Scott, could I talk to you? Again, I'm not talking about whining. I'm not talking about wallowing in self-pity. I'm not talking about making other people miserable with our own misery. I'm not talking about seeking attention by calling attention to our wounds. I'm saying what a gift to a skeptical world it would be if we would follow the example of Jesus who responded to doubt, not with condescension, not with argument, not with confrontation, but by saying, if you want to know me, you need to know my wounds. Second Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be a comfort to those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have, been received, have, have received from God. Praise be to God, the God of all compassion and comfort, who comforts us so that our comfort can overflow into the hurt of others. Carrie and I were in Illinois on a church mission trip. We were sleeping in the, in the church building. There was a lady, a young lady on the trip. I'm going to call her hurting young lady. This hurting young lady had come to the the end of a terrible relationship. She was in deep pain. Her demeanor and even her, her words had some of us really concerned about whether she might harm herself. One night we were asleep in the, in the, in the building. A hurting young lady was sit, sit, sitting outside on the steps in the middle of the night. The rest of us were asleep. Inside asleep there was another young lady. I will call her healthy young lady, although she was recently healthy. She had suffered a terrible divorce and several months earlier, I know for a fact, had come within two or three heartbeats of taking her own life. Healthy, so hurting young ladies outside on the steps in the middle of the night, healthy young lady awoke and went to get some water. Walking down the hall of the church toward the kitchen where she would get some water, she looked outside and saw a hurting young lady sitting on the steps and she went out and and sat next to her. The hurting young lady bore her soul, and the healthy young lady bore her soul and said, I, I've been there, I know, I, I, and, and talked her off the ledge. 
and the God of all comfort used a lady who had known deep pain, who was willing to be honest about it, to bring healing to someone else who was experiencing deep pain and needed and desperately needed comfort. Blessed be the God of all comfort, the Lord of compassion, who comforts us in our pain. So that if we're open and vulnerable and candid and willing to share it, he, he can redeem our pain. To redeem is to take something really bad and turn it into something really good. And God redeemed that night on those steps outside that church building, redeemed the deep pain of healthy young lady for the sake of the comfort and future of hurting young lady. Thornton Wilder wrote a, a short story titled, The Angel That Troubled the Waters. It's based on the story in John 5 of the Pool of Bethesda and that ancient belief that we read about in John 5 that from time to time an angel would come along and stir the waters. And when the angel stirred the waters, the first one into the waters would be healed. And so around the Pool of Bethesda that some of us saw this, this summer in Israel, in Jerusalem, around that Pool of Bethesda, people who were crippled gathered and they laid and they waited for that, what they believe to be the healing stirring of the waters. And to the pool of Bethesda came a physician. Uh, came a physician who was so deeply troubled and so emotionally exhausted that he came himself to the pool of Bethesda waiting for the stirring of the waters. And when the, the hand of the angels stirred the waters, he stepped up quickly and he said, heal me, please heal me, that I may go on. The angel answered, step back, physician, for this moment is not for you. Without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very sadness that makes your words strike a deep chord in the hearts of hurting people. Not even the angels in heaven can reach the hearts of hurting humans like a fellow human who is also hurting. Without your wounds, where would your power be? Your pain makes you an effective instrument for God to use as He comforts others. Remember, your greatest gift to give the world is your deepest burden. I can't talk about the wounds of Jesus that he showed to Thomas without taking just a couple of minutes to kind of unpack those, those wounds and what they mean. Isaiah 53 was written seven centuries before Jesus was born, and yet they were written about him. And they say, he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. The wounds that he showed to doubting Thomas, we are healed. Now, healed. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at it this way. Every once in a while, there'll be a video on TikTok or Facebook or somewhere and about a, an animal caught in a trap or other maybe injured, and along will come a, a, a well-meaning human 
uh, loves animals and try to rescue that, that animal. But the animal in the trap doesn't understand, of course, the, the motives of the human, and, and he's panicky. And so some, the, the animal will sometimes lash out at the very one that is trying to, to help and to rescue. Wilkie, Ky, Kylie, excuse me, Kylie Welch. Kylie Welch in 2018 in Pittsburgh was a volunteer at a rescue animal shelter. A shelter run for animals that had been abandoned or mistreated by people. But Ms. Kylie Welch was a volunteer there, wanted to help the animals. So as she often did, she took her two daughters, age eight and four, to go walk a dog. So here's a dog in the rescue shelter, the animal shelter, that has been either abandoned or mistreated, not treated well by humans. But here comes Ms. Kylie Welch and an eight-year-old and four-year-old little girl, and they walk the dog just to be kind, right? Well, nobody knew the story of the dog, why he was at the shelter. Nobody knew the trauma he had experienced. So Ms. Welch and her two little girls were walking the dog, being kind. And suddenly, without warning or explanation, the dog turned on the four-year-old and attacked the four-year-old. Ms. Welch, the mother, of course, jumped to the rescue of her little girl, and the dog turned on her, and he grabbed her arm, and he bit down with such power, and then he, he, would, only, he would only release just to bite down deeper. She was in big trouble, bleeding profusely. A man came along, beat the dog off of her. She was airlifted to a hospital where multiple surgeries were required to repair the muscle, the tissue of her bones. She's left with horrific scars. We showed them in, at 8.05 in the service. She's left with horrific scars on both her arms. She, she works at a daycare. She said, when I wear a short sleeve blouse or shirt, she said, the, the kids in my daycare, sometimes if they're new, they'll say, what's, what's that? She tried to do the right thing. And bears now permanent scars. And when you're the, when you're God on earth in person, and you're trying to rescue fallen humanity, when you're God on earth in person, and you're trying to redeem people who are sinners by nature and by choice, when you're trying, if you will, to do the right thing, and humans not understanding and being sinful as we are, when you're God on earth in person trying to redeem fallen humanity, you get maligned by religious leaders, and you get abandoned by your friends, and you get arrested and scourged by Roman soldiers, and you get double-crossed by a crowd who said they'd rather have a scoundrel named Barabbas go free than to have you released. When you're God on earth in person, trying to rescue sinful women, boys, and girls, and when those sinful women, boys, and girls respond like a crazed animal, you get nailed to a cross. And you end up with 
the eternal wounds of, of sacrificial love. You end up with wounds on your brow and your back and your side and your hands and your feet. Love hurts, says a song from the 70s. And when you're God on earth in person trying to, trying to rescue people, you end up eternally wounded. And by his wounds, Isaiah, inspired by God's Spirit, wrote, by his wounds, those same ones he showed to Thomas, by his wounds, we are healed. And I don't, underst- I don't understand that. I don't understand how his death two millennia ago makes my liberation and freedom possible, but I believe it does. And, and I believe that it's not only for here. I believe that one day I will stand before my Creator. And I will, if I were to stand there based on my own goodness, I'd be in big trouble. But I will stand there covered by grace, having placed my faith in the one who bears the eternal wounds of sacrificial love. Boy, I tell you, that's a, that gives me hope for here, and that gives me hope for forever. And I would invite you to that same hope, to know that if you were to, if you were to follow Jesus, you would join a crowd of imperfect people, but you would serve a, a perfect Lord who took upon himself your sins and bears now the wounds.